What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My Seven Chakras, episode 32. What the mind creates, the mind can recreate. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's going on, action takers? AJ here, and welcome to My 7 Chakras. We're going to have an amazing episode today, and we're going to learn about transformational hypnotherapy. But before we dive right into the interview, I want to take a little breather. Now, we've come a long way at My 7 Chakras, and as on today, we're doing our 32nd episode, and it's been an incredible journey so far. So, I have two requests. Firstly, I've received numerous emails and messages over the last few weeks from listeners all around the world. And this is one thing that really inspires me the most hearing from my seven chakras listeners. That's right. Send me an email to aditya at my seven chakras.com. That's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my seven chakras.com. The seven is a word. So that's my seven chakras.com. Tell me where you're from. What do you like most about my seven chakras which was your favorite episode and most importantly what would you like to learn about in the future is there a guest that you would like to have on the show and yes i will be reading out emails on air the emails that really touched my heart send me an email even if it's just one sentence to aditya a-d-i-t-y-a at my seven chakras.com Secondly, if you like our episodes and the wisdom that we spread, then leave us a rating on iTunes and hopefully a five-star rating. So that's how iTunes actually gets to know about quality shows and that leads to increased exposure, increased reach. So go to my7chakras.com slash iTunes. 
read the instructions and click the link that will take you straight to the review page. And all right, that's all the announcements I had. So let's jump straight to the interview. So good morning, co-creators. AJ here, and you are listening to My 7 Chakras, your destination for the latest insights, advice and tips from the world of alternative healing and peak performance. And I am excited to bring you our featured guest today, Dr. David James. So David, are you ready to inspire? I absolutely am. And thank you for having me on the show. Awesome. So Dr. David James is a transformational hypnotherapist in Los Angeles, a former police detective and Episcopal priest. He is the author of three books on the inner journey. He has a PhD in clinical psychology and is a sought after workshop speaker. David, I've given our listeners a mini intro. So take a minute and tell us more about yourself. As I said, I grew up in the Los Angeles area and have always been drawn to transformation one way or the other, mm-hmm. even in my work in the police department and in the church. Uh, and hypnotherapy was kind of the perfect venue for me to uh, make the kinds of transformational changes that in my own life and life of my clients. So I'm, I love what I do and I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that amazing introduction. Before we dive into some of the transformational topics that we're going to talk about today, we're going to begin the show My 7 Chakra style with an inspirational quote. Is that all right? It is. So David, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us an example of how you apply this quote to your everyday life. Without seeming too highly thinking of myself, my favorite quote comes from me. Mm -hmm. And that is, what the mind creates, the mind can recreate. What the mind creates, the mind can recreate. Because over and over again in my own life and in my work in transformational hypnotherapy, I've seen people who uh, were told that they could not walk again, that they could not have relationships, that they could not pass exams. And these were all stories that their mind absorbed. And so when we change those stories through the work that we do, uh, they found success in many of these areas. So whatever the mind can create, the mind can recreate. What the mind creates, the mind can recreate. And sort of brought to my mind the another quote, which is called, Thoughts are things. And, it, and you brought it to the point by saying that, what is the type of story? What story are you really telling yourself? And by changing that story, you can actually change uh, what you experience and how fast you are heading towards your objective and your goals. So thanks a lot for sharing. You're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. So, David, do you like going into the wild outdoors and spending time in the mountains once in a while? I do. As a matter of fact, I live in the Los Angeles area, and so the mountains aren't far from here. And uh, the last new moon, I was up doing a ceremony and ritual up in the mountains to welcome the new moon. Wonderful. So let's imagine that you're conducting a health workshop somewhere among the mountains, and someone asks you, David, what is the main focus at this point in your life? What would you tell them? It is transformation. It is transforming my own life, transforming the lives of my clients, and working with my family and friends to help them achieve the ultimate goal for their lives. So in one word, it's transformation. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to move on to a topic that forms the foundation of our show, which is called the chakras. And a few days back, I went to your website and I saw an image of the seven chakras on one of your pages. So I know that you might be closely working with these energy points as well. So could you tell us what is the significance of chakras in your practice? Yes. Um, One of the things that's really important to understand about hypnotherapy, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, 
is that what we're really dealing with are different layers of consciousness. You know, that we have the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is only 10% of our whole mind power. The subconscious mind has the lion's share of all of our power, of our life stories, our scripts, our energies, our emotions. And so what we've discovered in working with the chakras uh, is that we are facilitating a greater sense of consciousness at each point along. I do a lot of work with men with erectile dysfunction who, for one reason or another, are not able to uh, have erections anymore, and that leads to a very diminished uh, sex life. And so when, for example, so we work a lot with uh, second chakra energy, sacral chakra energy, to visualize and imagine and experience uh, letting fear drop away as that, as that chakra becomes energized and enlivened and empowered. And what we're doing is changing neurology at the same time that we're changing the mind. And so we use the chakra as a template to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, really amazing that you speak that about the different layers of consciousness and the fact that the conscious mind is just 10%. It's like the tip of the iceberg, whereas the subconscious mind is actually uh, down there and is all eternal and powerful. And through your example, you mentioned that you sort of connect the challenge uh, faced by a person to a particular aspect of the energy points or a particular chakra. Is that correct? That's correct. And the same things happen with people who have been in abusive relationships. We work with both the root chakra, which is, the, of course, the energy center around safety and, and belonging in this world, and then also the heart chakra to begin to allow that energy point to begin to open and to work more freely as trust develops in the first chakra and working the way up. Mm-hmm. Now, you sort of hinted towards that in, in the sense that a person might experience erectile dysfunction. But what are some other examples or challenges that a person might experience uh, for which transformational hypnosis might be a solution? Asthma is a, is a very profitably treatable experience. Uh, there are peer-reviewed studies, clinical studies, that show that the mind can relieve the asthmatic condition. We know, for example, that Harvard did a study in another field, Mm -hmm. Harvard Medical School, did a study that showed that when people broke major bones, like the large leg bones or, you know, the the hip bones, that when people had uh, hypnotherapy as part of their recovery practice, they recovered one-third quicker than people who did not have that, who had simple physical therapy alone. So the exciting thing about this work is there is case study after case study, and they're peer-reviewed. You don't have to question whether they're authentic or not. Peer-reviewed studies that show that hypnosis works well with irritable bowel syndrome. Hypnosis works well, like I said, with any respiratory syndrome. Hypnosis works well with insomnia, with eating disorders. I mean, there's, like I said, what the mind creates, the mind can recreate. And the more that we know nowadays about neuroplasticity and mind-body medicine and the placebo effect, uh, we, we see that everything is on the table in regards to change. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that nothing can compare to the actual experience when a person comes into your clinic and has that session. But could you take us through a typical session of yours? What what really happens when the person walks into the clinic? Is there a certain set of questions that you ask the person? And, and how does it proceed? Yes, the first session is 90 minutes long, usually, because there really is a, a matter of uh, developing rapport 
Okay. Spelling myths about hypnosis. You know, people wonder, will I bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken, you know, or any of those kind of things. <laughs> and I always say only if you want to. But we dispel myths and, and we talk about how hypnosis is a normal and natural state that all of us go in and out of every day. And maybe later we can talk about examples of that. Uh, then we do some suggestibility testing because we know that people tend to be, to use a, a metaphor, but it's, it's a helpful one. More right-brained or left-brained, you know, more analytical in the left brain or more feeling-oriented in the right brain. And the, when we understand, as a clinician, we understand how uh, people process their, their, their thinking and feeling world, then that dictates the kind of transinduction that we would do. Because somebody who's much more oriented towards their body and feelings would have a very different experience of induction than someone who's highly analytical and engineer, that kind of thing. So we, we have some... No fail tests. All they do is they reveal the method of processing. And then we begin the process of inducing hypnotic trance. You know, people have asked me several times, even last night at a gathering I was at, um, can I be hypnotized? And my answer is, if you want to be, yes. <laughs> True. Yeah, if you want to be, absolutely. You know, if, if you don't want to be, you know, you're not going to be able to cooperate necessarily. But uh, I'm assuming that people come, who come into my office and the clinic uh, want to be uh, transformed. And so we, we go with that as a possibility. We put them into trance using some very uh, powerful techniques of, of trance induction. And then from that point on, then we t- deepen them in the trance. And then we take them into a place where we begin to introduce suggestions uh, to the change. Because remember, uh, as I said, the subconscious mind is where all of this work happens. And so we have to go into very deep layers of the subconscious mind and turn off, if you would, negative images, negative messages. You know, it's called the nocebo effect very often instead of the placebo. The nocebo effect, messages people have received all their lives and they have integrated into their body and their neurology. So in the session, that's what we do. We turn that off. We, with the power of suggestion, offer new thoughts. We give uh, some, some suggestions for dream work, which will happen as they sleep at night. And then we bring them back out. And they're healthy and happy after having spent a wonderfully relaxing time. They're conscious the whole time. You know, nobody falls asleep. And if they do, you wake them up because we really need their active participation. So um, hypnosis really is deep relaxation and focused attention. So my job is to get the client to that place and keep them there while we turn off and turn on uh, the, the various uh, facets and, and functions of the subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a lot for clarifying that. It seems that there's a very structured approach towards uh, healing this person where you say that you start with clearing or dispelling off any myths that the person might have, any preconceived notion that the person might walk into the clinic with. And then you sort of build rapport and confidence within that individual because as you mentioned, if that person wants to be hypnotized, he or she will. And if they don't want to be, well, then it won't really work. Uh, And it's really important to understand, as you mentioned, whether the person is a left-brained or a right-brained individual, because that will determine how the person accepts the information, processes it, and uh, ultimately what type of results the person sees. So it seems like it's a very customized uh, approach that you offer your clients. It it is, you know, because I've been at this long enough that you learn what works well for some people is not going to work well for others. Uh, but, you know, some of the, the underlying premises are always the same. Dispelling myths, establishing trust, 
inducing trance, you know, and then making the suggestions for, for positive change. So how you do that might be different by the person, but, you know, the, the client always has kind of the general sense that there's a protocol that the therapist is following that's been tried and true. For the, the place that I received my training has been in, in business now for 47 years, and they're kind of called the Harvard of hypnosis training in the United States. And so it's very established protocols. But again, like anything else in life, creativity, mm-hmm. insight, intuition uh, plays a large part in the work that I do with people. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that you a large part of your role is to clear off those myths, those preconceived notions and those belief systems. And I've heard about this a lot where a lot of experts say that most of the belief systems happen or are created when a person is a child. And those experiences that they have during childhood affect them when they're adults and sort of transform their lives. So what is the importance of these memories, these childhood memories? And and how do you actually dispel the memories that are created during childhood? Well, two things. First of all, uh, you're correct in, in your intimation that most of our predominant patterns of psychological relationships happen up till about the time of age nine. That that's when the subconscious is forming pretty rapidly from zero to nine. You know, that you have an experience. This is an example. You have an experience where uh, you come home from school and you've got a good report card and your mother gives you a piece of chocolate cake and strokes your hair and says, what a good boy you are. I'm so proud of you. And all of those powerful uh, biochemicals are just coursing through your system with all the love and all of the affirmation. And if you bring another report card home six months later, it's the same thing, and mama gives you the chocolate cake, then what's happening is that there's a pattern being established here. And so, you know, an adult can very often look at a piece of chocolate cake and begin to really salivate even when they're not hungry and not understand why. But it's because uh, there's this connection between food and approval. And this is often the case with addictions, too. I work in a, in, with a rehabilitation center here in Southern California, and we talk with the uh, people that are in, in, in treatment there about the same thing. But uh, before I go too far afield, uh, the point is that from zero to nine, uh, conversely, you might have a negative effect where you go to see, when you're five years old, you go to see the neighbors uh, next door, and their dog bites you on the cheek, and you have to have restorative plastic surgery, and you're traumatized for life. In that one moment... There's been such an imprint on your subconscious mind that for the rest of life, unless you resolve it, uh, you're terrified of dogs. So zero to nine, the, the mind is just a sponge and it soaks up everything. We call it, we have the experience and then we create an association with it. You know, with neuro, neurobiology, uh, we, we understand even more now the, the, the chemistry and the brain work behind this is that uh, every time that you have a thought, whether it's a good thought, whether it's a bad thought, whether it's a simple thought like, oh, boy, I wish I had gone to the restroom before this interview started or, you know, I'm, I'm so traumatized by the terror attacks in the world today that um, your body, regardless, releases chemicals. And if there are po- 1,300 different chemicals and hormones from your brain through the rest of your body with every thought that you have. And so um, if there are positive thoughts – uh, your brain takes a snapshot, and it's a positive experience, and positive uh, hormones and chemicals are released. If it's a negative thought that gets reinforced and reinforced, it becomes a thinking pattern. Every time, it becomes a release of, of adrenaline and cortisol and stress-inducing hormones. So one of the things that we do is we really help to build what we call cognitive pillars, 
In other words, we, we, we work with the client so they can see, for example, Mary, you've not been hurt by a dog for 47 years, and yet you're still terrified. Is that logical to you? And, you know, of course, the answer would be, well, no, but I remember, okay, fine. You may still have that horrible memory, and we're going to deal with that. But do you see how being free of this memory would give you the ability to enjoy a walk in the park, a, uh, you know, visiting family and friends that might have animals? And so we build cognitive pillars to help them see the value of the change that we're going to make. Because, like you said, the, the conscious mind is 10% and the subconscious mind is 90 but we still do need that 10% in play. The 10% of the conscious mind is where we have logic and reason and decision-making powers and willpower. So we really are holistic in that sense that we bring the whole mind to bring the kinds of change that we want. And so, uh, yeah, we, we start young, and, we, and because we, these, these formative experiences in our life are so powerful uh, – very often, um, they, they, they just become very deeply recorded as a life script, and it takes some work to get those uh, broken loose and, and released. Mm-hmm. Now, from what you shared, it seems like what parents say, what they do, behave with their children can have a significant impact on their child's future. So, what advice would you have for a young mom? or a young dad who might be listening to the show and really wants to be conscious in his or her interaction with uh, their kid to ensure a bright future. So is there any particular advice you have for them? Yes, and, and I attribute this information to Dr. Deepak Chopra, who taught me this. He said that children, because they are developing language skills still, uh, have a unique ability that we all should have, but it, we kind of let it go dormant but they have a unique ability to read physical clues and they have ability to read facial expressions and they have ability to read language and not only language of the parent but also the the emotion behind the language and all of this is being absorbed like a sponge and so to to be most effective as a parent uh it's you know the parent needs to model uh the kinds of values that are important for the family, and, and my suggestion would be kindness and compassion and awareness and openness. And the old saying is, way more is caught than taught. Kids pick this up and it goes into the subconscious. So, yeah, I would say be conscious, be awake, be alert, and, and model the kinds of people that you want your children to become. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks a lot for sharing. Yes. And it's really amazing to note that children have this unique ability to read the physical cues and, and, and see the facial expression. And not only the language, because I know that children learn languages pretty fast, but also the emotion behind the language. So parents really need to be conscious about their behaviors, their interactions, how they're talking to other adults as well when the child is in the same room. So thanks a lot for sharing. You're welcome. Yeah. Now, David, you're a transformational hypnotherapist author of three books, a public speaker, and you're transforming people's life through hypnotherapy. What were you doing before this? I uh, was a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. My, as I said, my doctorate is in clinical psychology, and so I did traditional uh, therapy and counseling. I was an Episcopal priest, so I did a lot of it out of the context of a ministry of the church. 
as people would come to me for problems. And then when I left church ministry and focused more on drug and alcohol uh, work and, and, and counseling and therapy uh, and relationship counseling and therapy. But like I said, it really was my encounter with hypnosis five years ago that really turned the corner for me uh, in, in large part because one of the things that happens anytime that we all go to a traditional talk therapy, like to a psychologist, for example, or a marriage and family counselor, is that as we start to approach areas in our lives where we need to make change, then resistance is formed. Resistance comes up in our, in, our, in our subconscious mind and then filters up to our conscious mind, and we stop. It's kind of a homeostasis where you know, we're trying to respond uh, and restore balance to our lives. Well, you know, in traditional talk therapy, you can spend 5, 10, 15, 20 sessions uh, trying to break this resistance down. Uh, and, I, and I equate that as a wall. And hypnotherapy, what I've learned is you can uh, kind of hop over the wall and jump right down into the subconscious because you're, you move that 10% mind out of the way and, and, and you go down to where the power center is. And so that's where I made that transition from kind of a very traditional counseling practice into this transformational hypnotherapy work. So thanks a lot for sharing. Yes. There you go, listeners. Traditional counseling does work, but hypnotherapy allows you to hop over the wall because it's fast and it's effective. So let's assume that a person listening to the show right now has decided to opt in for a transformational hypnotherapy session. What are certain benefits that this person could obtain from these sessions? Now, if you could break down the benefits into short term, maybe after a few sessions and then on the long term basis. Of course, it depends on on why the client comes, you know, at least in the United States. The top two reasons that people come to hypnotherapy are first to stop smoking and secondly to lose weight. Then you have a kind of a large gap and then people come for performance related issues, for example, wanting to pass a bar exam or a medical school exam or learning effective relationship strategies uh, to be in romantic relationships or working with the kids or that kind of thing. So, Or working with the, what excites me the most is people with serious health challenges that want to see if they can dial that back some. So um, it really depends on, on what... They present what the issue is they present with because someone, for example, I, I, I've been working with someone who has multiple sclerosis and uh, their needs and challenges and opportunities for change and transformation are going to be very different than somebody that wants to stop smoking. I mean, at, the, at, at, at one level, it's all the same in the sense that we're going in through, you know, we're dispelling myth, we dispel myth, we establish trust, we go into the subconscious mind uh, and we make the connection between the mind and the neurology so um, in the short term, people would, would experience a great sense of relief usually because people come for hypnotherapy very often as a last chance. You know, they've tried everything else. And uh, for smoking, for example, you know, people have promised themselves that they were going to stop smoking tomorrow for 30 years, you know, or uh, they've tried the gum or the patch or they've tried the Chantix or the medications and, and they've had limited success. And so um, they're, they're ripe, if you would, for the kinds of work that we do. But it's, hypnotherapy is rarely somebody's first choice because remember, in our, in our Western culture, we are really trained to operate out of that 10% of the conscious mind, logic. Reasoning, decision-making, willpower. And, and so it, it usually takes some measure of frustration with that 10% to come to me 
for the 90%. So, but one of the first things that people will experience is a sense of relief that there's a possibility that something profound can change for them. Because like I said, they've been dragging whatever it is, sometimes weeks, months, or years are along with them. And so when they come to be with me and they experience how refreshing hypnosis can be and they can begin to see a possibility of change, then hope is engendered. And hope, we know, releases, again, a whole different set of biochemicals. And, and, and so those are kind of the short term. And then long term, you know, depending, you know, six sessions usually and somebody can stop smoking. You know, that have been smoking for 40, 50 years. I have an erectile dysfunction program for men that if they have no physiological issue like nerve damage from a surgery or high blood pressure medicine, that within six sessions we can have them back in action, so to speak. You know, we we do past life regressions and help people get answers to very deep-seated questions from past lives. So like I said, it really is individualized into the need of the person, but short-term is a matter of relief and experiencing some hope and then walking with them as they start to experience the changes taking place visit after visit. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the big insights that I learned from what you shared right now is because of the focus of the West on conventional medicine, Traditional medicine, hypnotherapy is actually a person's last choice and is never the first choice. When they've tried everything and those conventional options don't really work, they uh, opt for hypnotherapy as a last resort. And because it works, because it's so effective, and as you shared before, because you can hop on over, they experience that big shift and that big sense of relief. Now, we've heard about some of the powerful benefits of transformational hypnosis. And I've also gone through numerous success stories on your website. So could you tell us about one of your most inspiring client success stories to date? Yes, I had a woman come to me with breast cancer. And um, she was terrified uh, because she was facing surgery and mastectomies and uh, you know all of the very understandable anxieties that women have around the cosmetic part of having a a breast removed and, 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 you know, her feelings of fear about would she be desirable to a man? She was a single woman. Would she be desirable to a man again? Could she afford plastic surgery to replace? But so that's why she came to me was to kind of help reestablish kind of a baseline of, of happiness and establish a baseline of, of trust that everything's going to be okay. Uh, we started doing some work though, um, on, uh, shrinking the tumor. I said, let's just, just for the fun of it, are you willing to try an experiment? She said, sure. And so we went into a hypnotic state and we visualized and imagined that the tumor was beginning to shrink. And the tumor was beginning to shrink and to dissipate and to become like a, a cloud that would be blown away by a strong wind. And she thought, well, isn't that nice when we were done? Thank you very much, Dr. James. You know, I appreciate that. I'll let you know how the surgery goes. Um, she had already had the tattoo, the surgical tattoo on her breast so that the surgeon knew where to do the, the mastectomy, where to do the cut. And uh, she got onto the table the next day, and they sedated her. And they did the last-minute x-ray to confirm the exact placement of the tumor. And the doctor was furious, the surgeon. He said, somebody has screwed up. Look at this x-ray. There's no tumor there. Wow. And then, so what they assumed was that somebody had chosen the left breast when the tumor was on the right, so they did a, uh, a scan there, and there was no tumor there either. So, yeah, we, you know, she came to me for this, but I got an intuitive sense, kind of a, an intuitive hit, I call it, that if she uh, could visualize or imagine this tumor shrinking, because, again, based on the work they did at Massachusetts General, 
hospital. You know, this is kind of this information. Uh, and Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, You Are the Placebo. So we just decided to go for it. And the tumor disappeared, and she has the tattoo of where the surgery is supposed to happen, but that will always be kind of a trophy for her now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an amazing story. It is. And w- what I noticed was the phrase you used at the start was just for the fun of it. It started with that, and that really allowed her to be more receptive. Mm-hmm. She allowed the possibility of a solution to be planted in her mind. And w- with that, you had, sort of had a foot at the door, and then you uh, conducted those exercises, and then the hypnotherapy sort of did its magic. And I'm sure the doctors were surprised. <laughs> they were. you know. So the, and, and of course, our very biologically-based medical system had to mm-hmm. suggest that there had been a faulty diagnosis from the beginning because, you know, spontaneous remissions don't happen in, yeah. in, the, in the mind of traditional medicine. Although, again, Dr. Joe Dispenza in his book, You Are the Placebo, shows hundreds of cases of, of cancers disappearing and people walking again and all kinds of miraculous things that we used to only attribute to healings at religious shrines and, mm-hmm. and power sites and those kinds of things. So I'm sure that this story gives our listeners proof that a transformation is possible. Yes. And with this, we finally reached the health tip section during which our guests share one health tip, something simple and small that a person can try immediately to improve his or her health. So, what is it one tip that you could share with our audience? Breath. In India, as you know, it's called pranayam. It's a disciplined practice of breath coupled with positive feeling. Because one of the things that we know, and this is we give thanks to Dr. Greg Braden for, is that we know that when the mind sees something as accomplished already, an obstacle met, a challenge overcome, uh, a goal realized, that again, chemicals release, and that there's a whole different uh, inner biology taking place. But I would say most quickly is to learn how to do some pranayama breathing, to do some deep bellows breathing where you're taking some deep breaths in and out and kind of doing that for a minute or uh, a breath of fire, which is a much shorter breathing through the nose. If people practice yoga, they're familiar with these things. But breath is so transformative in and of itself that Dr. Stanislav Grof years ago used breath do regression to take people back to childhood to release trauma. So, you know, if, if, if you're walking, take deep breaths, you know, instead of just shallow breaths. Uh, if you're sitting down, uh, practice some form of, of breathing and, and, you know, of course, good nutrition, all that. But breathing, good deep breath, oxygenates the blood in a much more powerful way. And that provides nutrients and we're bringing in all kinds of light and energy from the universe in our breath. One of the things we know now is that there's no place in the universe that we're not connected. And breathing is that opportunity to do that, you know, and the old language, religious language, was that we wanted to become inspired. Well, of course, inspiration is breathing in. Inspiration is breathing in. Yeah. So inspiration comes when we breathe. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really profound tip. And uh, I also do yoga here in Vancouver. And one of the profound things that my teacher once said was, if there's just one thing that you learn from yoga, just one thing, the poses and the asanas and the complex, uh, you know, moves kept aside, is that you need to learn how to breathe. And pranayama is really powerful. 
if you can just do it in the morning i think it's also called fire breathing if i'm not mistaken yes but uh, these breaths if you learn how to breathe they're really powerful and as you mentioned there are many case studies and examples where people have seen massive uh, success and transformations by just learning these techniques on how to breathe better so thanks for sharing you're welcome yes now nadia komenich once said that i don't run away from a challenge because i'm afraid instead i run towards it because the only way to escape fear is to trample it beneath your foot and this is going to be the central theme for the next phase of our show which is all about a major challenge or a learning moment so david tell us about a time when you were faced by a major challenge take us to that moment tell us what you were feeling at that moment and then how did you overcome that challenge it actually happened about 6 months ago i've been involved in transformational work for a long time but i found that i was blocked emotionally psychologically spiritually blocked that no matter how i how much i meditate and i meditate every day for several hours a couple hours a day at least usually my breath work my yoga exercise Uh, my relationships everything was blocked and i i felt that i was actually starting to fall into a little bit of depression mm-hmm. and depression is cumulative you know once it starts unless we can address it right away then the the depressed person begins to develop an, an optic if you would to justify their depression you know that all of a sudden you know the weather's no good or you know the the the, the stock market is you know, whatever and 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 so I found myself I found myself slipping into depression. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a colleague at work, another hypnotherapist, and he reminded me of um a technique called the Sedona technique that has been very popular here in the United States, but basically it is that the premise of this is that every emotional feeling that we have comes to us to be released. and that's it. so instead of saying that emotions are something that we have to battle with uh the the, the premise of this of, of this method says that when a strong emotion comes rather than stifling it or stuffing it or uh using uh, a drug or alcohol or sex or shopping or something to you know narcotize ourselves that to rather pay attention to it and if it has a story listen to it so for example uh, so joe suggested that i practice this um and he says and it should be able to turn it around pretty well and that's one of the great things of professional relationships and colleagues that people in, in our lives see things that we don't and they come up with great answers and so um i i went to my meditation cushion here at, at home i have a room that i devote to meditation and um i sat on my uh cushion and i started breathing and all of a sudden nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the reason that i came to understand is because i have so programmed my mind that when i sit on my meditation cushion what i feel is peace mhm and so i had to get up and i got up and i started walking around and i started uh just feeling chest pains and um i don't have heart issues and so i assumed therefore that it was some something coming so i said whatever is here come you're welcome i will not reject you because uh, the founder of this um technique said you know that when we reject emotions we're rejecting the inner child within us that has all these emotions and that very often all of our lives you know we've been shamed for our emotions uh, or we've been um traumatized because of them and so by 
being willing to sit with the emotions as they appear and, and to let them come and to let them continue to manifest, he said that you, you really are sitting with the inner child as well. You're sitting with that, with that little part of yourself that still feels vulnerable or afraid or lonely or whatever. Anyway, so I was walking around and uh, chest pains, so I started doing some breathing and I said, hello, chest pains. You're welcome here, chest pains. I'm not afraid of you, chest pains. And they got stronger and stronger. I started to get a little afraid because they started to get stronger and stronger. <laughs> I said, you're welcome. And then all of a sudden, a, a, a person flashed in my mind. And all of a sudden, I dropped into rage. And I'm a pretty serene person. But I was so angry. I was screaming and yelling mm-hmm. at this person who's, by the way, passed. They're not even on this, in this world anymore. And just letting, uh, having kind of a catharsis moment. Uh, and and not trying to stuff or repress the feelings, nor trying to act out. I mean, I wasn't breaking windows or you know anything like that. <laughs> but um, I was I was letting this emotion manifest itself, and then I started crying because behind, especially for men in our Western culture, you know, who have been so shamed if they cry or mm. so shamed to feel deep emotion. What my experience is that behind. That rather, that anger, this is a metaphor I use, that anger is the guard at the door where grief is being held captive for a man. Anger is the guard at the door where grief is being held captive for a man. And that was certainly the case with me. Once I got the anger expressed and experienced it, then I started weeping at a terrible loss that, that had been part of it. And I just let that happen. I let that come. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, when I could hardly stand anymore because I was leaning against the door, then this voice came out of my chest, a little little boy's voice that said, please help me. And it was my inner child that there was a, that this experience that I had so shut off uh, had, um, had so damaged this part of myself that I, I was not feeling anything. Mm-hmm. So the image that I use um, with people is that, you know, the ocean, when it comes to the to the beach it crashes on the shore in a beautiful wave and then the gravity pulls it back mm-hmm. to the to the to the to the ocean to, for another round well if if in the moment that just before it crashes we take a huge cement box and drop it onto the wave it loses all of its power and water in that box after a while becomes fetid and becomes diseased and doesn't work. And so you have to remove the box and let it reintegrate back into the ocean. And that's the same thing with our feeling world, is that when we do not allow the feeling to arise, experience it, and then pass, uh, we essentially take a cement box and we cover it up. And it becomes rancid and uh, we start developing ulcers and all kinds of uh, mind-body symptoms and and so this technique was a really helpful one that, that I taught before, but it was good to remind it and to experience it. Often when you're working with a client who they're saying, I'm so angry, I say, okay, welcome with the anger, welcome the anger, welcome the anger. On the scale of one to ten, where are you? I'm so angry, I'm at nine and a half. Okay, then keep feeling that, keep feeling that. And now we're going to talk about why maybe you don't need to be quite so angry anymore. And you're talking, where are you now? Five minutes later, I'm down to seven and then eventually get them down to zero. But it's the notion that by expressing the emotion that has been resident and, and, and latent for so long, 
that finally were able to experience some freedom. And, and, and so fear, returning to Nadia Comaneci's uh, notion, you know, fear is, I've, I've learned, and this is really new for me, and I've been working with my clients, to welcome fear. Again, usually, you know, we have all the acronyms in the, in the recovery world that fear is false evidence appearing real, for example. Or, you know, another example is forget everything and run. Yeah. But um, what I've come to do, and I'm working with my clients to help them see that fear has been a servant all their life to keep them safe. Now, it may not have been accurate. It may not have been helpful. But when I feel fear, I say, thank you, fear. You're here to keep me safe. Now, what do you have to tell me? What can I see? What can I learn? And, and so it's by an active engagement with the emotions and the feelings, not repressing them, not narcotizing, not numbing out, and, and not overexpressing either. That in, in, in this experience, like it's called the Sedona method, that by doing this, you begin to establish a free-flowing channel recognizing that emotional feelings come so they can be released rather than being held back and hurting us. So looking back now, what is that one major life lesson you would want our listeners to take away from your story? Don't fear your inner world. Don't fear your inner world. You know, I, I said earlier, of course, that for men, mm-hmm. uh, very often the, the two emotions that we are allowed to have are anger and lust. You know, it's kind of the the macho mm-hmm. way. Yeah, we yes. have this whole array of emotions. But even for women, you know, especially uh, successful working women who have made their way into the man's world, you know, they've, mm-hmm. they've begun to really repress lots of their kind of intuitive, effective experiences and emotions. And so um, I guess my encouragement is don't be afraid of that inner world because the inner world, like Carl Jung says, has riches for us. And so the more that we're able to be in touch with it and understand it, pay attention to our dreams and the symbolism of dream work, um, that uh, we'll experience great relief. Maybe fewer sessions with the hypnotherapist, I don't know, but you'll experience great relief and um, uh, have a more integrated sense of yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. I know it's hard to go back to a testing moment, a moment of pain or a moment of depression, but because you did, our listeners have one more reason to believe that a challenge is only temporary. Yes. And with that, we are now moving on to the next portion of our show, which is about finding your life's true calling. Someone once rightly said that sometimes life is about risking everything for a dream that no one can see but you. So my question to you, David, have you found your calling? And if yes, what is your calling? My calling is to be the man that I am doing the work that I am right now. My calling is to live out this purpose. I um, just turned 60 last weekend, and um, I I look back at all of my life, from my time as a police officer, as a priest, as a therapist, and I really see that all the vast and varied experiences of my life have prepared me for this moment, that I got my doctorate in 93, and um, you know various licensures and trainings all my life, but this is the moment for me of transformation, and I'm so glad to be able to share it with other people, because as I am transformed, others are transformed with me, and that's fun. One of the things that I did not say that our, our work has shown is that um, 
when people come and engage wholeheartedly in the transformative process of hypnotherapy, um, not only do they stop smoking or do they start losing weight or whatever it is their you know the cancer tumor goes, what happens is you become a new person. The transformation is about that. It's not having an old person thinking new thoughts. It's about a new person. And especially that's very clear with people who have spontaneous remissions from serious disease. They become new people. So that's my purpose is to help people become new people and to live happy and productive and wonderful lives. And this is my point and my purpose and I'm glad to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an inspiring story indeed. I love how you mentioned that all your experiences in different industries, different roles have prepared you for this moment, this moment of transformation. And what I liked most was that it's not just you who has experienced this transformation, but through you, the people around you, your patients, the students, the people who attend your workshops, all of them are also experiencing that transformation. So thanks a lot for sharing. Now, I'm sure you agreed to the power of one. And how it can change your life. One idea, one thought, one Oscar, or one peace treaty. So what is that one moment that you can share with our listeners beyond which you knew, without a doubt, that this is what you were meant to do? So let's go back in time and let's hear that story. I think that the one moment that I, using the old phrase, I knew in my knower that this was the direction for me, was in my own life. I had a serious physical condition as a result of a cancer surgery that I had when I was 44 years old. And I was told that I would never experience um, a a particular way of being in the world anymore because my body is going to be very limited in what it could do in that regard. And so I I, uh, had heard about hypnosis. I'd seen the evidence of all of the uh, transformational work of the placebo effect and all these countless studies of spontaneous remissions. And so I dedicated myself to experiencing a new me in this way, and I fully restored my injured self uh, back to complete and healthy functioning. And so it was in that moment that I knew that if I could do it for me, I can do it for other people too. Mm -hmm. Well, that is indeed inspiring, and I like the fact that you dedicated yourself to that cause. It's not just an interest or a liking, it's a complete dedication and conviction. And because of that, you've experienced the massive change that you have and become the person who you are today. With that, David, we have come to the very end of our show. The final round, which is called the wisdom round, where I will ask you a series of questions and you will respond with nuggets of wisdom, just like in our rapid fire round. Okay. And this round has loads of takeaways packed in a short lapse of time. So, David, are you ready? Yes, I am. Awesome. What is the best advice you have ever received? Find your purpose and live it with everything that you have. Mm -hmm. Now, great habits, they can change your life. So, if you had to recommend a personal habit that contributes to your well-being, what would it be? Learn to meditate and practice that regularly. Get in touch with that inner world. Um, and use all of the resources at your disposal to uh, transform yourself. Mm-hmm. So, David, what is your morning ritual like? Could you describe the first two hours of your day? When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I'm, I'm fortunate in that I don't have to wake up to an alarm that I've programmed my subconscious mind so that I wake up when I need to. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have kind of the jarring of an alarm. And so the first thing I do is I, I 
put my feet on the ground by my bed and I put my hands kind of palms up in front of me and I take a deep breath and I thank divinity, I thank the universe, I thank the creative power, I thank God, whatever you want to use. I call it the divine. I thank the divine for this day. You see, because before I went to bed the night before, I programmed my mind for what I'm going to do the next day. Mm -hmm. So my subconscious worked on it all night long. So I don't start my day when I wake up. I start my day when I go to bed because wow. I've learned I've learned <laughs> to to use a mental bank kind of experience to establish, you know, not only my schedule for the next day, but kind of the emotions and experiences that I want to have. So the so when I wake up, I engage that work by uh gratitude and thanksgiving and then I do some very light yoga warm-up stretches to begin to get my body into uh, a sense of circulation and rhythm. And then I uh, have some fruit juicing that I do uh, to help my body begin to activate in a healthy way at the start of the day. And then I, med- then I meditate for uh, up to an hour at times, you know, like I said, sometimes to start my day. And uh, then a little bit of stretching at the end of that to help loosen things up. And uh, at the end of my meditation time, I visualize the rest of the day, and I visualize every encounter, every appointment as being successful. I feel like the my first client says to me, Dr. David, this was the best I've ever experienced. Thank you so much. The next client comes along and says, I never knew that life could be like this, uh, that my lunch date tells me, you know, you just shared something with me that's going to change my life. So I purposely f- front load, if you would, download positivity, and then I enter the day from there. Now, finding and reading the right book can be life-changing. So if you could recommend one book that changed your life, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I've read so many books. You know, having a doctorate <laughs> in psychology, I've got more books than I know what to do with. But I think that there there are two that, that I would recommend right now. The first is by Dr. Greg Braden. It's called The Divine Matrix mm-hmm. um, because he talks so much about the combination of science and spirituality and how we, they really are not opposed to each other. They're just different languages pointing to the same thing. And he talks about you know physics and how we really are connected by an energetic uh, field between us, or there's no empty space between us. So that would be one, is understanding that um, people for thousands of years, you know, within the context sometimes of cultural, religious practices, but still beyond that, have found great wisdom and that he does a great job of synthesizing that within the scientific framework for the critical thinker. The second book is the one that I suggested several times by Dr. Joe Dispenza called You Are the Placebo. Um, He talks a lot about how, what I was intimating earlier, how to become the new person, not just how to be a person having new experiences. And both of those books are very easy reads uh, that, they're, that, that a casual reader could do a chapter at a time or, or something like that. But both of those have really impacted me, and I would suggest those because they're current, uh, they address what we've been talking about, and they're full of great examples and very accessible. Mm-hmm. So listeners, you can find the links to all the resources, including these two books. You'll find it in the show notes. So David, it was phenomenal chatting with you today. Right before you go, tell us one thing that you're really grateful for today. Tell us the best way we can find you and then we say goodbye. I am grateful today that I got to see my six-week-old granddaughter. Uh, She was born six weeks ago and she is happy and healthy and we had a great time of cuddling and 
and playing and and so I was in a great mood when I came uh, back here to the to my office to prepare for this session. If anybody anybody wants to reach me, the easiest way is through my website, which is davidjameshypnosis.com. One word, davidjameshypnosis.com. In addition to articles, in addition to the ability to contact me, in addition to the, to the description of how I work and working with Skype with clients around the world as, as well as people locally. Uh, on my media section, I have other radio interviews I've done and also a one-hour television presentation that I gave on the placebo effect, that somebody who wants to know more about that can sit there and watch the, the me on television on the placebo effect and becoming that new person. But it's all on davidjameshypnosis.com. So there you go, listeners. If this topic, if what you learned uh, and, and now you know about during the show, if that really interests you and inspires you, head on over to the website because there are many other videos and also other shows, other radio shows that David has been a part of. So you can learn much more about this amazing topic of hypnosis. So David, thanks for appearing on My 7 Chakras, sharing your inspirational stories and taking our listeners one step closer to a human revolution. Listening to My Seven Chakras. Go to my seven chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.